Welcome to Champion Church of the Nazarene's weekly sermon podcast. In this second week of Advent, we explore what true peace is, the kind that God wants in our world. We will find that our definitions of peace are actually false, and that it actually starts with personal repentance to help bring God's peace into the world. We continue our series, Advent series, Come Peasant King today, and as you can tell by our reading and by the songs, today we are going to examine peace. Peace seems like a very difficult thing to achieve, does it not? Not only in the world around us, but also just even within ourselves. And the reason why it seems so difficult is because oftentimes we are, we assign our own definition to peace uh, than, than what it actually is. See, when we think about peace, we think of the ability to go about our lives without necessarily being bothered, without conflict, without difficulty, right? We want this kind of peace, do we not? <laughs> And so we do a number of things in our own power to try to achieve this in a number of ways. But often, we label things like disruption and interruption as the opposite of peace because we're not able to do or be at peace ourselves. Again, we're looking for that absence of conflict, that absence of difficulty. And it was to this, as I was thinking about this, that I, I, w- I was called back to a fairly dark film that I actually really like, because it's, it's Batman. You all thought you were going to get through Advent without a pop culture reference, I know. If, you, if you've been with us for a long time, one Advent, we did Star Wars observations for the entire Advent. I couldn't help myself this week. But I thought back to the 2008 film, The Dark Knight, when Batman faces off against Joker. And there's a, there's a line that Joker talks about that really um, cuts to this paradigm that we're talking about. We're, our lives are peaceful as long as we're not interrupted, as long as we're not disrupted. But Joker's having a conversation with an attorney He's holding him hostage, pretty much. And he tells him exactly what he's here to do as the Joker. Joker's an anarchist. Joker loves chaos. He does it just to do it. He's a sociopath, right? And he goes up to him and he says, you know what's interesting? Nobody panics when things go according to plan. And then he begins to, or then he says, even if the plan is horrifying, Nobody panics if it's according to plan. And then he begins to talk about some norms in our society that don't necessarily cause us to panic very often. For example, he says, if a gang member gets shot and you hear it on the local news, you don't panic. Or if soldiers die in a war, we don't panic. Because what we have done is, in our society, we have grown used to it. We're not bothered by these things that are actually terrible. 
We are not bothered. And I, I hate to agree with a fictional sociopath from a comic book. You're allowed to laugh at that. But there's something to that. There's something very revealing that you and I often turn on our news and we go about our lives if it doesn't affect us personally or if it's according to plan. For example, maybe you turn on the news tonight and you find out that there's a break-in or there is a fire or there's a murder in a neighborhood that you expect that to happen in. You go about your night. You sleep soundly. But if the news reports of a break-in three doors down from your house, what are you doing tonight? Right? All of a sudden, it's different. Or, for example, you are on your way over to the mall for your shopping season, and you're about to get on the highway, or you're getting off the highway, and you see a person who is asking for money as somebody who is homeless. And you're used to seeing them on that corner. And you might, you might offer something to them, or you might offer a prayer to them, or you might continue on your day, but you continue on with your day. It doesn't bother you as much. But say somebody within your family or a friend is kicked out of their home, and they're now living in their car. What do you do? You do a million things that you can to help that person in need, do you not? Because it affects you personally. It's not in the plan per se. We think that peace is things just going as we expect them to go. But peace is not that. Peace is radically different. Peace is where a person who you don't know doesn't have to sit and beg for money. It is a world where there is not war. It is a world that does have a justice to it. Not an injustice, not an inequity. And oftentimes when we come to Advent, we're, think, we're looking for Jesus to bring us this interior peace. And what we're asking Jesus to do is just to, hey, let everything be normal this Advent season, this Christmas season. I don't want to deal with this. But in reality, when we say that, we neglect the lack of peace in the world around us. Peace comes through disruption. Peace comes through interruption. Peace comes when a man comes in first century Palestine and changes everything for you and I. And so today, we are going to look at the beginning of peace in our world. And you're thinking, hey, we're going to talk about Jesus. We're actually not going to talk about Jesus near as much as we're going to talk about his cousin, John. John the Baptist. And so, if you have your Bibles or your apps, you can turn to Luke chapter 3, beginning with verse 1. And we're going to read that in a moment. But let me tell you a little bit about John the Baptist, who was Jesus' cousin. Anytime that you've ever read about John, if you've never read about John, he is an odd duck. He wears odd clothing. He eats locusts. 
And he says things that, quite frankly, get you in trouble. He's very prophetic in that way. So much that John would later lose his life because he spoke truth in the world that he was at. He was ushering in a kind of peace that God wants in this world, but the recognition is, is that peace only comes through some pretty distinct changes in the world. And that's what he preached. And here's the amazing thing. Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus who we believe to be the Son of God, Jesus Christ, said the same things. It's amazing when you read John's words, repent! And then you hear Jesus say, repent! They're saying the same thing. And they envision a world in the same kind of way. John was probably less tactful than Jesus was about it, but at the same time, Jesus still was killed for the things that he said too. So peace to come into this world means dramatic and radical things need to happen. And so we read about John's ministry before Jesus gets on the scene in Luke chapter 3. In the 15th year of the rule of the emperor Tiberius, when Pontius Pilate was governor over Judea, and Herod was ruler over Galilee, and his brother Philip was ruler, ruler over Iturea and Trachonitis, and Lysanias was ruler over Abilene during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas. I thought you said this was about John the Baptist, right? There's a reason why Luke provides all of this context. Now we finally get to John. God's word came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. John went throughout the region of the Jordan River, calling for people to be baptized to show that they were changing their hearts and lives and wanted God to forgive their sins. This is just as it was written in the scroll of the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice crying out into the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make his paths straight. Every valley will be filled and every mountain and hill will be leveled and the crooked will be made straight and the rough places made smooth. All humanity will see God's salvation. And if you continue to read, you begin to hear John's words. And we're going we're gonna to look at them briefly here in a moment. And you'll say, John was a peacemaker? Are you sure about that? But let's talk about this just for a moment, how this begins. Why does it talk about the Roman emperor and the Roman governors and the high priests of numerous places? And if you read the first two chapters of Luke, you would understand that it actually talks about Jesus' birth and how that came to be. So there's a time shift in the gospel. So it's like, new setting, new place, right? But that's not only the reason why Luke includes this. Because guess what? Luke could have said, you know when Caiaphas was high priest? That's when this happened. You don't need to list Tiberius. You don't need to list Pontius Pilate and Herod and Philip and Lysanias and Annas and Caiaphas. Why in the world would Luke list all of these leaders, all these men 
of power, of riches, of influence? Why would he do that? And the answer is in how the God's Word came to John, who is not rich and who is not powerful and who is in the wilderness. There is an intentional contrast going on here. I know a lot of people don't always see it, but the Gospel writers were very intentional in, de- in how they provide details. And right here, you have all these men who are culprits of oppression, of injustice, of pain, of suffering. And all these men have power, and they have riches, and they have influence. God doesn't go to these guys. He goes to John. God is intentionally disrupting the way things are. We like to think, oh, our world doesn't put too much stock into leaders, government leaders, or rich people, or people of influence. Oh, wait, yeah, we do. And the church is not exempt from this. I've seen plenty of people who claim Christ put all kinds of hope in this person or that person, but in reality, often, each of these people are purveyors of oppression. They are purveyors, they're culprits of injustice. And they are not going to be the ones to bring peace, because guess what? To bring peace means that we need to take Isaiah's words very, very Seriously. Prepare the way for the Lord. Every valley will be filled and brought up. Every mountaintop lowered. You and I are thinking of actual literal valleys and mountains. But you need to understand that the symbolism of being up high, well, it's, it's pretty similar. I'm on a mountaintop. Everything's great right now. Why are things good? I have power and riches and influence. Those who are on high must be lowered and those who have been left behind, the oppressed, the impoverished, the hurting, those who suffer injustice in this world must be brought up. John speaks how this happens in his message. You ready to hear some peacemaking words that John says? You children of snakes! Okay, John. He goes on to say that if your hearts and lives have actually been changed, you would display it in your own life. And people are like, what are you talking about, John? What are you talking about? Well, hey, first of all, if you are like me, a Jew, you are not to sit on your inheritance as, oh, I'm, I'm good, just being a Jew. You are in good graces with God. No, your life needs to change. How, John? Well, here's the deal. 
in verse 11, he says, whoever has two shirts must share with the one who has none. And whoever has food must do the same. Those who are on high are lowered, and those who are low are brought high. Do you see this? A life that is dedicated to God, that is repentant to God, looks like this. Then there are other people who come up and ask them, like tax collectors, who would make their money off of overcharging other people. We've never experienced that, have we? Yeah, don't take more than what you need. Don't be cheating people. Soldiers come up to them. What do we do? Hey, stop harassing people. Stop using your power for your own benefit, making yourself feel better. See, this kind of messaging is radical and ticks people off because it is completely against what we expect. It is completely different than what we are used to in the world. Well, this is just the way the world works. No. God wants peace in this world. And the way that this world works is not a peace-making way. There's a lot of work that has to be done. And for that work to start, we must hear the very first thing that John calls people to and what Jesus calls people to. Repent. Now, if you grew up in the church, you might equate repent with confession. God, forgive me of my sins. Yeah, it's a part of it. It's a part of it. But repentance literally means to turn the other way towards God. Which means it is confessing, but now walking in the ways that God has said to live. These ways, we often think of just all these personal sins, but we have to remember that we participate in systems that do not make peace in this world. It also means repenting of those things as well and beginning to live differently and not necessarily saying, well, this is the way the world works. This repentance isn't just a single moment. It is a process. The type of peace that God wants to bring into this world is a painful process. It takes sacrifice and repentance and complete reorientation of life. It's not just saying, I'm sorry, and then I go and do the same thing that I've always done. It is actually completely transforming every way that you have lived in His and His alone. It's hard. Because too often, we're like siblings. Yeah, but I didn't do as bad of stuff. Did you see what they did? No, 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 no. Repent. Worry about yourself here. That's why Jesus will later say, do not judge others. Worry about yourself. You're worried about the log or the speck in somebody else's eye when you have a log in yours? Come on, y'all. 
Repentance is about you turning to God and changing your ways. Stop worrying about everybody else. For peace to come in this world, friends, begins with repentance. Of me, of you, and yeah, of everybody. We're going to talk a little bit about how real peace means understanding that not everybody will do that, though. But we'll get to that here in a moment. We must let go of the way that we have done things, contributing to the violence and the chaos and the pain and the suffering in the world, and turn to God and adopt everything that He wants for our lives, His ways. Olivia Metcalf, who wrote the devotional that we are journeying through together through Advent, contrasts a life of doing what we want and allowing things to go as is and a life of repentance. Here's what she says about a life of of just letting things be. When you and I strive and work and manipulate and attempt to make ourselves greater, there is no peace. Rather, we feel smaller, weaker, suspicious, and fearful. Our quest for control, power, or position leaves our lives in turmoil. Think about that. You ever thought about, man, I'm going to do this. I hope it gets better, and it doesn't get better. You ever done that before? But it goes also bigger than just individual. It also means even in the community as well. When we try to make ourselves greater, put ourselves in better positions, what we do is we actually cause greater injustice and chaos in the world. You might feel better for a moment, but we don't see all the consequences of us getting what we want and us having that fake peace that we talked about. But then she goes on to talk about a life of repentance, which I hear this out. When we repent, we lay ourselves aside and allow the Spirit to shape us. We become who we were meant to be. Our personalities are made holy. Our passions are transformed. Our imaginations are sanctified. And we begin to bring real peace into the world. You want a more peaceful world? Look within yourself. Confess and turn to God and allow Him to work within you. Not only to receive peace in the midst of difficulty, but to bring peace to those around us, because that is exactly what Jesus did in everything. He is our sal- We know He is our salvation because He is the ultimate peacemaker. How did He bring peace? He took care of those who are hurting, who are sick. He gave to those who were poor. He spoke truth to power of those who were causing the poverty and oppression and the suffering and pain. And guess what? He died for it. 
This is not an easy thing for us to live into. But we must. We must accept God's ways for peace to come into this world. We must be disrupted by His justice and His peace. Otherwise, it just keeps on same old, same old. Sin and death reign, wars and chaos, injustice and pain come into this world and nothing gets better. See, that's the thing, is that once you understand the peace that Christ brings into this world, you actually get bothered by things in this world. You get bothered that people are put to death by personal choice, by the government. You get bothered by that. You become pro-life from womb all the way to tomb. And you want every person to live and receive the grace of Jesus Christ. You are bothered that economic disparity continues to widen even though everybody says, the economy's great! That should bug you. You are bothered that there is a different standard applied to people depending on their skin color. That should bother us. You should be bothered that there are Organizations that profit off of the universal reality that we get sick. We should be bothered that wars are started over resources, over the desire for power, over pettiness. Wars have been started over the dumbest things. It's not that, oh, well, wars just happen. No. Wars aren't a part of God's plan. Wars are the antithesis of what Jesus does by offering his life to violence so that you and I would have life. You see, friends, true peace is when injustice is brought to justice. It's when oppression is gone and everyone is liberated. It is whenever you and I do not hurt each other and see that as a norm of life. Peace, as Jesus Christ has brought to us, will come when He returns, but we are to bring peace while we wait. And so, let us walk in the ways that Jesus walked. You want to know what the arsenal of peacemaking is? Yes, that was intentional. You know what the arsenal of peacemaking is? You ready for this? Nonviolence, civil disobedience, personal service. This is, we have a slide for this. Nonviolence, civil disobedience, personal service and generosity, not judging others. Forgiveness, radical forgiveness, and reconciliation are all in the arsenal of peacemaking. And this is exactly how Christ lived, and that is how we must live as well. Jesus did not bring his kingdom by going to war. Jesus did all kinds of stuff that was illegal, religiously and in the civil law. 
He served other people. He gave to those who were needy, who were poor, who were sick, who were hurting. He did not judge others. Even though he had every reason to judge, he was perfect. And he said, no, I'm not going to judge you and hold that against you. Leave your life of sin. He brought peace to those who were sinners. And reconciliation. How many times was he willing to go the way so that others would have life? That is peacemaking, friends. And that is what you and I are called as followers of Christ to live. And it starts with repentance. It starts with saying, I haven't lived into this. Let me do as God desires and you allow the Spirit to transform you from the inside out. Reclaiming peacemaking is essential for us to move forward as a church. Because quite frankly, there are way too many people who call themselves Christians who are really good at making war. Really good at dividing. Really good at trying to conquer our minds and our hearts. And this is not the way of Christ. So how do we begin to make peace in this world? What kind of practices can we live into? The beautiful thing is, as I prepared, this entire series has a bit of a sermon help. And there was a paragraph that just spoke so perfectly to the radical peacemaking acts that you and I can participate in as followers of Christ. I sort of summed it up on a slide, so it will be up there. But hear this as I read this. Peacemaking is not an easy task. It is not an image of babies who don't cry or sheep resting in quiet fields. How many of us love precious moments in willow tree and think, oh, it's so peaceful? <laughs> it's not what we're talking about here. This is what peacemaking is. It's the image instead of a parent who breaks a cycle of abuse by doing the hard, smoothing work of therapy so that their child can grow up in a better home. You hear that? Peacemaking is the image of civil rights activists sitting at counters and singing this little light of mine. It's a grandmother on her knees, night after night, praying for her neighborhood. It's people who wash graffiti off of walls without expecting or requesting recognition. It's when church members open up their home in hospitality towards others. It's these hard, everyday moments of working for justice in a world that is so far from it. These are small ways of peacemaking in the world, friends. They also look like adopting a resident who does not have family anymore for Christmas and giving them some semblance of humanity through some gifts. 
It is stopping on the side of the road and helping others. It is being bothered by all the wars that we can't seem to kick. It is being bothered by school shootings that happen way too often in this country. It is finding ways to personally engage in the injustice of the world and bringing peace, not in the ways of the world, but in the ways of Christ. So peace is not feeling better about your life. It is disruptive. And it's difficult. But when Jesus writes the world, we have to join him in his work. We have to be peacemakers as followers of Christ as we wait for him to come again. So, let us repent and be disruptive as we make peace in this world. Let us give to others who the world doesn't think doesn't deserve it. May we change our thinking about others who are struggling instead of blaming them, seeing them for who they are. May we see the injustices of this world and find ways to bring His justice. By the way, His justice isn't with fire and mortar. It's the forgiveness and grace. Otherwise, you and I wouldn't even be here right now. Let us be people who bring peace as Christ has brought peace to us. Disrupting this world that seems out of control and leaning into His holiness and His Spirit for everything. Thanks for listening to Champion Church of the Nazarene's weekly sermon podcast. We hope you are inspired by this week's message. We'd love for you to join us on a Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. We are located at 3924 High Street Northwest in Warren, Ohio. You can also join us on Facebook Live. For more information about our ministries, or if you'd like to contribute to our ministries online, visit us at championnaz.org.